Bush Heritage acknowledges the traditional owners of the places in which this podcast was recorded and in which we live, work and play. We recognise the enduring relationships they have with their land and waters and pay our deepest respects to elders past and present. I guess the smell of sandalwood, you know, you might think it is a smell that you might get in perfumes or soaps, but really it's the, the smell of, of the earth. It's, a, it's the smell of the natural world. It's sweet. I, I love that. I never get sick of it, you know, growing up smelling it. And it's my own special tree. When you smell a bit of sandalwood that is freshly broken off a, a piece of trunk or something or some dead wood lying in the ground, it might have been lying in the ground for years, it'll still have this amazing smell from the earth that uh, really puts you in contact with the, the, the natural world, with the wild, and uh, there is just nothing else like it. It's been part of our culture for generations. I look at myself as a custodian fruit. When we harvest it, it's done in a sustainable way. I have to confess that before this episode, I didn't know that much about sandalwood. I recognised the smell from incenses and perfumes. But as a tree, what was its history? What would it mean if it was lost? What I learnt was that the Australian sandalwood tree, with its scrambling canopy and shrubby leaves, holds more meaning than I ever could have imagined. You're listening to Big Sky Country, a podcast by Bush Heritage Australia. I'm your host, Eliza Herbert. Today we take you to the Birrili Buru Indigenous Protected Area in Western Australia to ask, what is the ecological and cultural value of sandalwood? How is it going in the wild? And what makes this tree so worthy of protection? My name is Clinton Farmer. I'm Mado and I'm I am Manjira from the Gibson Desert area. That's my tribe, Manjira tribe. Now my dad got his license to harvest when I was born in nineteen seventy seven. He wanted our people, our families to continue to stay connected to country. He wanted to create employment and being on country is healing for us, you know. Being back on country just give me inspiration to keep on going, you know. Just remembering the old people, how uh, hard it was in the, living a desert nomadic lifestyle, you know. They, they done it hard and they, they survived, you know, because they had that strong relationship with the land. And it was a two-way relationship that we had a spiritual connection to it and we looked after it. And the land knew its people and the land in turn um, looked after us, you know. Clinton's country makes up part of the Birrili Buru Indigenous Protected Area which spans over 6.6 million hectares in Western Australia's central deserts. For Mardu culture, it's, it's part of our culture. It's a special tree to us. Like all plants and animals, sandwich is special to our culture. It's a medicine. When the old people used to burn it on the, on the fire, come the mine, you know, and they had a special song when, when there's a rain was coming. Because the old people living a nomadic lifestyle, they didn't have no clothes and they didn't like the rain, so they used to use the sandwood to burn it and make the clouds go away. The seed, the old people used to crush it up and use it to make medicine. And if there's a cut or spear wound, or any sort of infection, so they used to use the seed to crush it up, grind it on the grinding stone and pull on the wound, you know. It's very special to our culture. Further west, 
Another man has a strong connection to Sandalwood. Richard McClellan has been researching how Sandalwood is faring in the wild as part of his PhD with Charles Sturt University. My first steps in in this research was I just wanted to read and read and read as much as I could about Sandalwood. And because of my impressions, when I certainly when I went to the bush heritage reserves and started looking at the populations of Sandalwood, you know, I suddenly realised I'm not seeing any young trees, I'm only seeing old trees. And so I thought, what's going on here? One of the things you should know about Australian Sandalwood is that it is the most commercially valuable tree in Australia, can sell for more than $17,000 a tonne, and has become a booming pillar of the Western Australian forestry industry since settlers arrived and realised the plant had similar qualities to Indian sandalwood, which had been used in Asia for centuries. Probably in the last 175 um, years, there's been over half a million tonnes of sandalwood that has been harvested and exported, mostly for incense, but now also for perfumes and cosmetic products and some pharmaceuticals. And that amounts to millions of trees where... People have gone into the bush and just looked for the sandalwood trees and nothing else, and they've just pulled those sandalwood trees out of the ground and taken them away to market. So Richard began monitoring the sandalwood trees at Bush Heritage's Charles Darwin, Hamlin Station and Uriti Reserves in WA's Western Rangelands to find out what its role was in the ecosystem. I've had camera traps out for a couple of years. I've had a couple of years of doing timed observations where I just sit and watch a tree for a an hour or four hours or something and just see who comes and goes and what they're doing. And basically we're finding that it's it's a host plant to a whole range of, of species. We've found heaps of birds, about 80 species of birds. We've found reptiles. We've found mammals that like to use it for one reason or another, for, for shelter or for food or, or something along those lines. And really it's a, it's a key part of, of the ecosystem. You know, a splendid fairy wren might come in and it might be a female and then suddenly there'll be a male there and two other juveniles and they'll all be scurrying around looking for stuff. Or it might be a family of white-browed babblers and they'll be coming in and they're just so active and so busy and so enthralled about trying to scratch the litter around and see what they can find in the litter, some insects or spiders or grasshoppers or something. The sandalwood tree in question is Australian sandalwood, or Santalum spicatum, as it is known by its scientific name, and it is a hemiparasite. That means it derives some of its nutrients from other plants, such as surrounding trees called host trees. It also produces a huge amount of high-quality litter, which explains all the insects and grubs that are making use of the nutrients, which then attracts lots of birds, reptiles, and even mammals. But among this hive of activity, Richard found two very important animals were missing. Booties and whirlies, they're both burrowing betongs. They've both been pretty much exterminated across the, the range of sandalwood, and they used to go and collect the fruit from underneath the trees and take them away and bury them, and... Uh, in that sort of caching sort of activity, a bit like a squirrel, some of those seeds wouldn't get rediscovered by the booties and the whirlies and, and they would germinate alongside a host plant. But the booties and whirlies got wiped out about 100 years ago, 80 years ago, partly by a bounty on the booties, but also partly by introduction of cats and foxes and land clearing and a whole range of other, other factors. And so they disappeared and so no one's been picking the, the fruit up from underneath the tree and taking away and burying it alongside a host plant. So that one action alone has uh, has stopped the sandalwood from, from recruiting. The result? 
a domino effect of species decline. You lose the booties and wileys and then you start losing the sandalwood. And if you lose the sandalwood, you'll start losing all these critters that are coming into the sandalwood uh, communities to, to get the, the nectar when they're flowering or to get the fruit when they're dropping fruit. With that, we'll, we'll be seeing, if sandalwood go, we'll be seeing other things starting to go as well that might have other roles that they are pollinating other plants or, or whatever at the same time. So it's a, it's a classic um, a death by a thousand cuts. But the absence of booties and moilies is just one part of the problem plaguing sandalwood trees. While many sandalwood populations are flowering and producing seeds, that's not enough. When it does germinate, it's often eaten by animals such as goats, sheep, cows, rabbits and kangaroos. And its decline is further influenced by the impacts of climate change. Without sufficient rainfall, sandalwood doesn't grow. With all these factors combined, Richard is yet to see regeneration of young plants. That's why he's made a significant call. He believes sandalwood is going extinct in the wild. I think the biggest thing is when you walk into a patch of bush where there are sandalwood, all the sandalwood trees are old. You know, they're all, it's like walking into a, an, an aged people's home and um, and some of them look, um, you know, as if they haven't got lot, lot much longer to live. And so that's how it feels when you walk into a sandalwood population. There are no young people in there. There are no young trees. There are no saplings and there are no seedlings and there have been no seedlings and saplings produced for 80 or 100 years. So it's an old trees home full of very old trees. And the oldest sandalwood trees of all, estimated to be between 250 to 300 years old, are found on Clinton's country. This is how Richard and Clinton came to meet. Keen to ground truth his research across a broader range, Richard set off on what he's named the Great Sandalwood Transect. Over seven weeks, he and his supervisor, Professor David Watson, surveyed sandalwood at 12 sites across a 1,500-kilometre arc from the Gibson Desert to Shark Bay. The first stop, the Birrily Buru IPA. As you're going along the Gun Barrel Highway, you're kind of weaving in and out of the Birrily Buru IPA. That's Stella Shipway, Bush Heritage's healthy country manager for the Western Deserts, and the link that brought Richard and Clinton together. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's lots of like big sand plain, like Spinifex country. As you're going through, you also hit what people call the MCG, which is this big oval that people used to play a lot of footy on. And it's also an area where they used to have an old sandalwood camp. After a conversation with Richard about sandalwood, Stella took Richard's plight to both Clinton and the Mungalu Nurungaja Rirangaja Aboriginal Corporation, and they invited him to go out and have a look at the sandalwood that was growing out near Mungali on Maru country. In Mungali, it's a really special place. Um, its land belonged to my grandmother on my mum's side. You just go past the last um, um, station, which is Kanegi, and then you enter into our homeland and then... I know I'm getting close here. The whole aim was to find as many sandalwood trees as possible and measure them and uh, collect as much data as we could. We saw trees that we didn't see anywhere else and we saw the oldest, biggest trees that we saw anywhere and we also saw the youngest, uh, smallest trees that we saw anywhere. So it was fantastic that... uh, Clinton really reveres these uh, these parent trees, these mother trees, 
that are the biggest and the oldest and, and still producing lots of seed. And he sees them as being, you know, the, the, the custodians, the guardians of the future of sandalwood and uh, they're not to be harvested. It's amazing to see kind of two sides of of the stories and, and to learn about sandalwood or learn about country from two, two different perspectives. So, you know, often we'd be looking at things and Clinton and uh, Petrina and Lethan would be, you know, talking about the Mardu names and the Mardu uh, kind of traditional uses for something and then it would be David and Richard, you know, talking about the scientific name. So how many of these you got? We've got, uh, i got a few all around here. Have you? Mostly on the west side now. Yeah. Where we are as an Australian society and, you know, scientists and stuff that everybody should be doing work uh, together and it should always be like a collaborative effort. Um, if you call it right-way science or two-way science or, or whatever you want to call it, it's, yeah, we should always be consulting traditional owners. Um, it's making your science better um, and it's better for the whole of the natural environment in general to be to be working together and you're gaining so much more from it. I think um, the most inspiring thing about going out to, to, to Matu country was just seeing and, and, and listening, I guess, sitting, you know, it wasn't even when we were out looking at sandalwood that was most inspiring. It was often when we were sitting around the campfire and, and talking and uh, talking about, uh, you know, Clinton would talk about his father and where his father had harvested sandalwood in the past and he would show me some beautiful bits of sandalwood and and talk about uh, you know how he feels holding that holding that wood um, and you know how he feels about what's happening to sandalwood in terms of its, its exploitation or over exploitation um, and how he's concerned about the, the future of the species uh, going forward and that's the big question people like Richard and Clinton are asking where to from here I'd like to you know um have the whole area replanted, do a lot of regen work so we can, you know, keep the species going strong, you know, because of it's been over-harvested and there's not a good um, story with the over-harvesting and we want to work towards uh, bringing the, the population, you know, back strong, you know, so it's not um, harvested out and... Um, because it's special to us. We want to keep it there for the future generation, you know, because it's special to us and we can work together on the same vision, you know, make it happen. And I think it's a special work and um, it's good to have people who have that same mindset, you know, to um, work with them, who are really enthusiastic about it so that, you know, we can keep the environment and the land and the animals keep it special as it you know as it been for thousands of years so that it's there for the future generation uh, I think we as we work together it's, it's going to be a really special and important work that we're going to continue that journey on in an ideal world, I think I think West Australian government in particular has earned a lot of money from from sandalwood. They still earn a lot of money from sandalwood now, and I think it's pretty time that they put the money back into sandalwood. And they could do that by uh, supporting Aboriginal 
range of teams to collect seed, to plant seed and to, to nurture young plants through, you know, proactive watering and prevention of grazing going forward. And so we'd start seeing sandalwood come back uh, into the country where we know it's only dying out. It might be a complex fate for sandalwood, but the more that I listen and learn, the more it seems its continued protection is absolutely worth it. I think, uh, to my mind, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of, um, a lot of investment to, to keep sandalwood in the wild, but it's uh, absolutely going to be worth it. I know that um, you know, one of the best experiences I had when I was doing the Great Sandalwood Transect was when we were leaving Mungali and leaving Matu country and the last morning um, Clinton called me over and uh, he threw some sandalwood chips into the fire and when, once it started really smoking before it lit up, he, you know, we, he said, get into the smoke and he said, it's good, good for your well-being and it'll clear your head and make you feel good before your journey today and it'll help you work and it's good for you. And so... We all got into that smoke and, uh, and had a good lungful, and uh, and I thought, ah, this is this is why we should work hard to protect sandalwood. It's not just about the ecological value and the plants and animals that have an association with uh, with sandalwood. It's uh, it's about all of us. It's about people and and the planet. Big Sky Country is a podcast by Bush Heritage Australia, a conservation not-for-profit that buys and manages land and partners with Aboriginal people to protect our irreplaceable landscapes forever. To learn more about our work, sign up to our newsletter at bushheritage.org.au. Special thanks to Clinton Farmer and Dutjan Sandwood, Richard McClellan and Charles Sturt University, our healthy country manager Stella Shipway, and, of course, the Burley Buru Rangers and the Mungalu Nurangaja Rurangaja Aboriginal Corporation for sharing their country with us. This episode was produced by Kate Thorburn and myself, Eliza Herbert, with advice from Liz Keane. The theme music is Invertebrate City by The Orb Weavers, and audio was mixed by Mitch Ansell.